All right, go church. You feeling good this morning? Come on, let me hear it. All right. Hey, my name is David. I serve as an executive pastor here at Go Church. Honored to get the to bring the word again today. Let me welcome everyone, because if you're new to Go Church, you may not know this, but we have a lot of different campuses. Uh, we got a campus on the west side of Atlanta and love those people so much, and then up in Montgomery County, Maryland. And then, of course, everyone that's tuning in online because they're traveling for the summer and whatnot, we welcome all of you today. And then especially, one thing we like to do every single week, we just like to acknowledge those who serve in the military or have served, and all those who serve as first responders. Basically, we just think it's important to acknowledge anyone willing to put our health and safety and comfort and well-being in front of their own. And so if you are serving or have served in the military or as a first responder, lift your hand up right now so that we can recognize you and honor you. Come on, every campus, even if you're on your couch right now in your living room, these people deserve it. Thank you, guys. Hey, I, I wanna jump right in here. We're gonna continue our series called Binge the Bible, and we wanna do this because most of us, you know, you binge shows on Netflix, and that's probably not good to do, but I mean, whatever, you know, binge whatever you need to, but we're thinking if we're at least willing to binge a TV show, why not binge the Bible as well? And so we are going through the book of Acts, and uh, it's week four today, and so this series is kind of just an overview of the entire book of Acts for several weeks. It would take us a whole year to go through all the details of it. But today, I'm gonna be in Acts chapter eight, but before I do, let me tell you the purpose of the book of Acts. Uh, and every single week, you're gonna hear this as kind of the overarching theme for the book. The book of Acts demonstrates what God can do in and through people and his church when we are fully committed to the Lord and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so today, I'm gonna be walking through just Acts chapter eight, and uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. You're gonna see me reading a whole lot of passages of scripture today. It's gonna be a lot, but you're like really spiritual and you're okay with it, right? Like I can tell this crowd, you don't mind if I'm gonna read, if, if this is a binge the Bible series, you can't be upset with me for giving you a lot of Bible, okay? So that's the rules, all right? So I'm gonna be looking at Acts chapter eight and we're gonna pick it apart in a minute, but I think it's great to read the whole passage first and then dissect it. What you gotta know is this, we're gonna look at two uh, key ministry moments and opportunities from Philip, the Apostle Philip, also called Philip the Evangelist. And so uh, I'm really excited to dive into these two things, and we're gonna compare and contrast these two stories. A lot of scripture, but remember, you're really spiritual, so you're okay with it. Here we go. Chapter eight, verse nine. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and they exclaimed, look at what they called him. This man is rightly called the great power of God. They loved this guy. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So now they're like, oh, we found something so much better than this sorcerer, we found Jesus. And then, check this out, Simon the sorcerer himself believed and was baptized as well. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And then when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, 
They sent in the big guns, all right? They sent Peter and John. These guys have like walk-up music when they show up. These guys are a big deal. The big dogs coming to town, Peter and John going to Samaria, and they about to start just all kinds of stuff breaking loose here. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that uh, there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon, remember the sorcerer, he was the one had everyone following him and then he started following Jesus too, right? When he saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Seems like a nice thing to do, but it's actually the worst thing he could have done and this is what he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter, and y'all, if you're new to church, Peter's crazy, man. Like, you don't know what he's about to do. I mean, this guy, he's cut people's ear off. He's walking on water. I mean, he's all, he just, he's liable to do anything. And Peter, and we're gonna explore why in just a moment, he just comes unglued at this guy that offered him money. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart isn't right before God. Now pause right here. I just think this is interesting here. Peter says, you have no part or share in this ministry. And if you're a Bible nerd, you're gonna really appreciate this. You know what's cool about this right here? This is the exact same rebuke that Jesus gave Peter when Peter wouldn't let Jesus wash his feet. Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part or share in my kingdom. And now here's Peter with it fresh in his mind. And I feel like he told Simon, let me tell you what Jesus told me one time. He said, you ain't gonna have any share in this ministry. So what do you need to do? You better repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and you're captive to sin. So then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And then we don't know what happens next. Like, we don't see anything else written about this guy, Simon the sorcerer, ever again. I have no idea if he ever actually repented or if he went on to be one of the false prophets, which actually some of the theologians think that, one of the false prophets that were deceiving the people all around Samaria. I don't know. But based on the way this ended, it doesn't look good for our boy Simon, okay? So what do we, whatever happens, we don't know. We'll talk about it more in a second and we'll make some assumptions. But here's what happened next. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And then, here we got Philip again. So let's bring it back to Philip. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, in a second, we're gonna talk about what a eunuch is because that's a very important part of this story. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So then the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and just stay near it, right? So he does. And then uh, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet, 
And then he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. And he said, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Pause. It's about to show you the passage that he was reading. And again, this is another nugget, has nothing to do, it's not connected to my message today, but you need to know this. If you're a skeptic of the Christian faith, he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And why that's so important and why you need to know that if you're a skeptic is this was written 700 years before Jesus ever showed up on planet Earth. 700 years before then. And so if you're a skeptic, one of my assignments to you is I want you to go read Isaiah chapter 53 and see if it's a little bit familiar who it's describing 700 years before it ever took place. Hint, it's Jesus, okay? So here's what they were reading, right? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And I love, Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Pause right here. Again, another nugget, not attached to my sermon whatsoever, but you need to know this, if you're trying to get good at studying the Bible, Philip, I wanna applaud Philip. He did what every preacher and every Bible reader is supposed to do. Every single passage of scripture ever written is supposed to point you to Jesus Christ. And Philip was such a good pastor and such a good preacher that he's, he was able to hear the passage of scripture that this eunuch was reading and say, hey, you know what that scripture is pointing to, right? It's pointing to Jesus. So as you go about your week and you're reading the Bible because you read it every single day, hours and hours a day, I know you, you, you do that all the time, right? When you go home and you start doing your Bible reading, my homework assignment for you is that you have to start looking for Jesus in every single passage that you read because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the true Adam that didn't fail in the garden when he was tempted. Jesus is the true Noah that saved the world from the wrath of God. Jesus is the true David that slayed the giant and so that we couldn't have to. Jesus is the true everything. Everything points to Jesus. So your job when you read scripture is to find, okay, how does this pave the way for Jesus? Okay, so that's not even the sermon. You can just have that one, right? As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? A couple more verses. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Last verse. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I don't know what that means, okay? The spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. I read so many commentaries and all of the writers in these commentaries were like, I don't know. All, all that we know is Philip literally, he poofed out of the water and showed up in another city. He was like transported. And that is crazy. Like the eunuch came up out of the water and he's like, yeah, and he's looking to give him a hug. And he's like, uh, what, uh, what, is, where did you, where'd you go? 
And he's like, I don't know. And then he just went on praising Jesus anyways. And I love that so much. So two radically different stories. I know a lot of Bible today, but we're gonna unpack it a little bit. So it all comes down to this one question. And this is what we're gonna look at, comparing and contrasting these stories to try to better answer this question. Because as a pastor, I get this question a lot. And here it is. How can I be sure that I'm truly saved? Okay, we've got two men, Simon the sorcerer and an Ethiopian eunuch. Both of them professed their faith in Jesus Christ. Both of them got baptized, but it seems like only one of them was truly saved and the other one kind of fell off. We don't really know what happened to him. All I know is I don't wanna be like Simon the sorcerer. I wanna go on my way rejoicing. I wanna know that I am truly saved. And this is the question I get so many times. And it's the same reason why if you grew up in church, every single church camp and every single altar call, you were down there, boy, because you wanted to just make really, really sure. Like, I, I need to go back there again because I said a bad word yesterday and I need to go repent again and I need to get saved all over again. Some of y'all been baptized like five or six times because you just, you keep thinking that every time you do something wrong, you gotta start all over again because every one of us, we wanna make sure like, oh, I wanna make sure I'm really, truly saved. So by comparing these two stories, I don't think it'll give us a comprehensive list of the marks of true salvation, but I do have a couple of things I've noticed from looking at these two stories that can show us a couple of really true marks of salvation so that we can weigh our hearts against that and see if we've truly been saved and embraced the gospel. So I'll show a couple more verses we're gonna start out looking at the difference between where these two men were when they met Jesus, okay? So the first one, Simon, here it is. We already read it. He amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. They all gave him their attention. They literally called him the great power of God. They followed him, right? He had tons of followers. His Instagram account had the little blue check mark. You know, some of y'all, that's your goal in life. I want the blue check mark by my name. Well, he had that. He had all the followers. He had everything. He amazed them. And it wasn't just once. Like, he was consistently doing it for a long time, impressing everybody. That's his backstory. Now, I gotta give you context about what a eunuch is. And some of you, you didn't check your kids in the go kids. So I gotta dance around a little bit and you're gonna have to read between the lines what a eunuch is, okay? So a pagan ritual that was done by surrounding nations, when a guard was put in charge of guarding a female royalty, what they would have to do in order to protect that female was physically emasculate the person that was guarding them, right? Slice, okay? That's all I'm gonna say. Okay, you can Google it later, but that's what had to happen. So this is someone that was forcibly tortured, forcibly tortured, humiliated, humiliated, never able to have descendants ever again. He was absolutely ostracized by society and he was a believer in God. But here's the, here's the downside of this. And I, I don't have time to give you all the context on it. I need you just to trust that God is good. But because of the nature of the surrounding pagan nations, there was rules in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Leviticus 21.20 and Deuteronomy 23.1 that forbid eunuchs to come together into the assembly of the worshipers in the temple. So eunuchs were actually not allowed in the temple. They had to stay on the outskirts. So this is a guy that has been humiliated, tortured, 
everything. He has gone through things that we could never even honestly imagine. So the first difference here, and I think this gives us a hint as to one of the true marks of salvation, Simon was receiving worship. He was being worshiped, but the eunuch was restricted from the worship of the true God. So the eunuch wasn't even allowed to be in the assembly of the people worshiping, but Simon was the one being worshiped. And here's why that's so, so important, because these guys are coming at life from vastly different perspectives and realities of what it means to associate with people that call Jehovah their God. And, and this is something you've gotta know about salvation, true salvation. We're gonna look at this today. This is the first thing you gotta know. True salvation is marked by radical, radical humility, radical humility. When you have truly been saved, you will forsake absolutely everything that you hung your identity on. If it was money, if it was power, if it was influence, if it was you fill in the blank, whatever that thing is, which by the way, we all have it, even if you consider yourself an atheist, you worship something. You would not be alive. You have something that you feel like gives your life meaning. We all do. And so when you truly get saved, it makes you radically, radically humble. And it's self-forgetfulness. It's, I found my identity in Christ, okay? So I'm not saying that if you have a lot of influence and a lot of power and a lot of money that you can't be truly saved. I'm not saying that. You can. You can be humble. You can be truly saved. However, what I am saying, and better yet, let me use the words of Jesus so that you can really know that it's true. What Jesus told to religious leaders one time, he said, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are gonna make it into heaven before you. Do you know why? Because they got nothing to lose. They have not, humility is not that far a stretch from someone that's been ostracized from society and embarrassed and left on the margins of social you know, order for their whole life. Humility isn't that hard to get to when you've been humiliated your entire life, when nobody wants to be around you. But when you got influence and you got money, it's just, it's not impossible, but it is a really big gap to get to here. You got a lot that you gotta be willing to leverage or even let go of in the pursuit of Christ. So which category do you fall into? Because when push comes to shove, we're in one. Some of you, you have been so broken by the pains of this world and my heart grieves with you and aches with you. You can relate a lot more to the eunuch. You've gone through pain and torture and I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly what that feels like and he's right there with you. We're gonna talk about that more in a second. But for others of you, you're like Simon and you got a lot that you don't wanna let go of and that's why worship doesn't really move you that much because you've gotta stay distinguished, right? You've got a reputation to maintain. You gotta be influential all the time. And the cost is just, I don't know. The eunuch didn't have a hard, a hard road to get to humility, but Simon the sorcerer did. And I think, and again, I'm making an assumption on his eternity, only God knows his heart. But if he didn't make it, that's gonna be a good indicator of why, because he lacked that humility, okay? So let's look at the next difference between these two guys. Now let's look at what drew them to God. Okay, so what drew these two people to God to begin with? Simon was astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
guys, listen, I'm not saying it's bad to wanna see God do miracles and to have witnessed God do miracles and ask him for miracles. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I love so much about the eunuch's faith is it wasn't about the power of God so much. He was already worshiping God. He knew God was powerful, but what the eunuch saw was something different. These words, I feel like if he was circling something on his script of, the, of Isaiah the prophet, I feel like he would have circled these words. Slaughter, humiliation, deprived of justice, no descendants, life was taken. This, this eunuch wasn't drawn to God's power, okay? He wanted to understand scripture. He wasn't drawn to God's power. The eunuch was drawn to God's pain, and there's a huge difference. Simon was impressed by God's power. He was convinced. He was like, oh, wow, this God is, is powerful. I mean, I, I can't deny it. These are miracles taking place. I should follow this God. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm really not. But what I am saying is that'll keep you on the surface because what'll take you a little bit deeper, what will actually impact you is to look at and examine and long to look into why would the God who created everything go through something like that? Why would the God who has all power subject himself to such pain and torture and humiliation from the people that he came to save to begin with? If you don't stare at that, you're just gonna be staying on the surface here and impressed. And this is the mark of true salvation. This is what you need to know. True salvation, if you've really been saved, it'll give you a converted heart, not just a convinced mind. I'm telling you, oh, church, I want you to be convinced. I really do. I even bought myself a new suit today because I hoped you would lean in a little bit more. I, I wanna convince you that Jesus is real. I want you to see miracles. I believe he can do it. We saying he's more than able. I believe all of those things, but I'm telling you, it's not enough. It's not enough. Guys, people saw Jesus doing undeniable miracles and they still put him on a cross. The mir witnessing an undeniable miracle will not convert your heart. It will convince your mind. Now, it might be a great starting point to your faith, but that's not the end goal. That's why Jesus didn't call his miracles miracles. He calls them signs. So a miracle is just there. It's a miracle. It's a stopping. A sign points to something. And what Jesus wanted you to see is the essence of God is not power, though he is all powerful. The essence of God is love. Love is the essence of God. So you, you're with me, right? Like I can go a little deep into a little theology here. This, I, I like to do this here. Okay, so you gotta understand something. We don't have a oneness theology, which is absolute heresy, by the way, that God is not a trinity, that God is one. We don't have a oneness theology. Here's the problem with oneness theology is that you actually minimize the love of God because all a oneness God can, he can have love, but he is not love. If God is a trinity, which he is, that means he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in one, and they together are love. God doesn't just have love, 
His being is love and he has all power, but he is love. It's his essence. And the eunuch by staring at the pain of Jesus was able to identify that God is way more than just powerful, that God is loving. And it lifted him up out of his depression. It lifted him up out of his pain because God was willing to go through it too. That's the beauty of the gospel, that's what staring at the gospel will do for you, get you out of your pain and into the presence of God. Listen, I want you to have deep change. And I, I could tell you all the evidence of the, of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, it would never be enough. You've got to let your heart be converted. You need conversion in your heart. We can't just settle for a convinced mind. Here's the difference here, because I, I don't wanna speak in abstract. I don't wanna speak, and you'd be confused by this. Here's the difference between the two. A convinced mind is, again, is impressed, but a converted heart doesn't just recognize that God is real. A converted heart says, God, you're real, and I want you to call all the shots in my life. Like your design is better than my desires. And so if you said it, then I wanna do it. Like I actually don't wanna be in control of my life anymore. But people that are only convinced in their mind and don't have a heart conversion, it's not the case. There's actually only one category of living beings that have a convinced mind about the power of God but don't have a converted heart. And I love you, but it's demons. Like, Demons are the only living beings that are fully convinced that God is all powerful, but they've never been converted. I want you to know this. There is nobody in hell that is begging to get out. There's nobody in hell begging to get out. Don't you think demons already know the end of the story? They get defeated. They're not dumb. They know how the story ends, but they still don't want Jesus to be the Lord of their life. Their heart is not converted. Nobody's begging to get out. God can convert your heart if you stare at his pain and you stare at the love of Jesus. Don't just be impressed by his power. Look at what the power points to. Okay, so that's our, that's our second thing. Let's keep looking at some of these differences here. So this is Simon, and he's talking uh, to, to Peter and to John, and he sees them laying hands on people, and it's all kinds of Pentecostal revival going on. I mean, it's all kinds of crazy stuff happening, and he's like, this is awesome, man. I love it. And he looks at them, and he says, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Well, what's wrong with that, Pastor David? I mean, the guy wants to lay hands on people and fill them with the Holy Spirit. What's so bad about that? I want you to notice it's not what he's asking for. It's what he's not asking for. Everyone around is getting filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and all he wants is the ability. He did not ask to be filled with the Spirit himself. He wasn't interested in that. He was interested in having something that could give him influence over people once again because he lost it all because they started following Jesus. And although he recognized that Jesus is real, something went different in his life. And he started thinking, you know what? I actually, now that I've got Christ, now I see my window. I can have Christ plus my influence once again. I want both. I want the world to think that I'm great and I want Christ to think I'm great. And let me tell you something. If you are looking to Christ plus anything, that is not the gospel. You have not been truly saved. 
True salvation is exactly like what the eunuch experienced. He wasn't trying to gain anything useful from God. He wanted to understand. So he invited Philip to come and explain the gospel to him because he wasn't just looking at how he could use God like Simon. Simon sought to use God. The eunuch wanted to understand God. The eunuch was like, tell me more. Tell me more about this God. There's no other faith out there where a God would do this for his people. Help me understand, please. This, this God, this Jesus Christ is so desirable to me. Help me understand him just a little bit better. But Simon wasn't having it. And I'm telling you, gosh, Simon, he saw his opportunity. He said, you know what? I'll know that I'm somebody if I can have Christ plus if everyone can affirm me. He needed the affirmation of others. Let me tell you, Christians, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't, genuinely, it doesn't apply to you, but if you're a Christian, why do you need affirmation so bad? Like, how is it possible that somebody could ruin your day just by voting differently than you? Like, I don't even, it doesn't even fit in my brain that, that we could be called into the glory of heaven one day, but we're so superior to everybody. It doesn't even fit in my brain that we would need the affirmation of people. The God of the universe says that you're in. What, the, who cares? Honestly, who even cares about that? But Simon, Simon saw God as useful. God was just useful to Simon. He was the means to an end because his real God was influence. That was his true God. That was the God he was worshiping. And God was just a means to an end. And for some of you, you've quit your faith because you say something to this effect. You said, I did that whole prayer thing. I did that whole going to church thing. And guess what? My wife still left me. I still lost my job. The healing never came. And guess what? If you left your faith because God answered your prayer differently, the worst thing God could have done was given you the answer to a prayer that would have led you to worshiping a false God other than him. That's the most unloving thing he could have done. Those things were your God. God himself wasn't. And that's the mark of true salvation. True salvation is marked by a desire for God himself, not just for his benefits. No, nobody, nobody gets this right. I'm telling you, no one, not perfectly, but as a Christian, what we can start doing is we can start, we can start desiring to desire God for himself. Until you become a Christian, you can't even desire to have God for himself. So let me ask you this. Christians, let me talk to the Christians for a second. Do you wanna go to heaven just because it's a better option than hell? And it's like, well, if I gotta choose between the two, might as well check the Christian box so I can be in heaven. Or do you wanna be in heaven because you wanna be with God? Because look at all he did to be with me. I wanna be with him forever. Is that truly why? Come on, don't just do cost-benefit analysis when it comes to the Christian faith. Follow God just because he's good, just because he's holy, just because he's everything that we need, not because, well, it would benefit me more if I could use him this way. Come on, that's not, that's not the gospel. And salvation frees us from this prison of sin, and I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, and so you can leave anytime you need to, but I wanna tell you this, okay? I, I want you to know this. We're, we get stuck in this, this prison of sin, and this is where Simon was, and I think the best definition of sin, because there's a lot of it, it's kind of a subjective term nowadays, but I think the best definition of sin that I've ever seen outside of the word of God comes from an early church father in the fourth century, St. Augustine. 
he defined sin and he spoke in Latin. And so this is what he called sin. This was his definition. Homo incurvatus in se, which literally means the human being curved in on itself. Let me teach for a second. What this doctrine means is that every single thing before we meet Christ, every single thing that we do, even the good things that we do is all about doing something that could bring it back to benefiting us. Whether it's doing something sinful because, hey, I wanna feel good, so I'm gonna sin. Or it could be the other route. It could be, well, I wanna go to serve day because I need my picture to get taken in front of all the cute little kids that I'm serving so that then people can think that I'm a good person so that then I'll know I'm a good person if everyone can think it. And ultimately, you're still curved in on yourself. You learn the Bible because you wanna be the smartest one in your small group. You worship loud and you do everything to be seen just because you need people to think that you're more spiritual. You're curved in on yourself. You're using God. And I'm telling you, I love you enough to tell you. And, and that's why Peter talked to Simon. You're curved in on yourself and it's sinful and it's wicked and it's gonna lead you to hell. It's going to lead you to hell because you're not actually wanting God. You're wanting something else. So please allow the gospel. How does it work then? I don't wanna stay stuck in this prison. The gospel shatters that curve towards ourself. Here's why. Because we're worshiping a God who demonstrated this. We're worshiping a God who had absolutely everything he could have ever longed for, being worshiped by the angels in heaven. Everything was perfect. The only thing that he needed, the only thing he gained by going to the cross was all of us. That was the only thing he gained. It was the most selfless act in human history. He was all about what was good for us, not about what was good for him. It wasn't good for him to be on the cross. It was good for him to make a way to reconcile with us. And when you let that transform you, it will break that curvature of everything benefiting you. And then you can truly glorify God just because he's good and serve others just because he said it's the right thing to do. So that's what we need here. Two more thoughts here. Let's keep moving through some of these passages to, to uh, compare here. So here's Simon. And Simon himself believed and was baptized, which again, great things. I'm glad he did those things. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Okay, nothing wrong with having a pastor, nothing wrong with following a ministry. I mean, I, I am one, right? So I'm not undermining the role of a pastor. But look at the difference between him and the eunuch. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord literally just teleported Philip. Again, I want to know so bad, where did he go? How did that work? What did it look like? Teleported Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but he still went on his way rejoicing, okay? So, huh, let me, and I said this two weeks ago, but it was 4th of July weekend, and most of y'all weren't here, okay? So, I'm going to say it again, and I don't know why I'm on this kick right now, but I really think that this is the word for the American church today. We live in just this celebrity culture, man. Like, golly, I'm gonna lean over because I just need a second. Like, we are so obsessed with turning people into celebrities and it's whatever, culture's always been sinful, but now it's in the church and now pastors have become our celebrities. And now pastors is like, it's everything to us. Like, our faith lives and dies by what these men and these women are saying. And we get so hooked on a person. This is exactly what happened to Simon. Everything was fine when Philip was Simon's pastor, right? 
He loved Philip. Philip was a good guy, just a real soft, just gentle soul. And then in comes mean old Peter, right? Here comes Peter having to be all grouchy, holding everyone to these really high standards. And all of a sudden, Simon's faith starts hanging in the balance because here's what it is. Here's the difference. Simon followed Philip, but the eunuch followed Jesus. Simon loved Philip and he loved what he could gain from Philip. We have, oh my goodness, we have got to figure this out, people. You cannot tether your faith to a specific person, especially not me or Pastor JC, and definitely not those celebrity pastors that you're following on social media right now, because they're just as jacked up as I am. They're probably even more so. Like, we are all, we're just men. Like, I'm not your priest. You have access to God. I'm your pastor, and I'm here to tell you when you're missing it, and I'm here to help you understand the gospel, but I'm not your priest. You need to be able to go before the Lord. Don't tether your faith to a person. And look, I'm just gonna say it just because just I feel like I'm already yelling. I'm using my dad. I got a dad voice now, you know, and so like I've only been a dad for three months, but I'm working on like practicing, like wagging my finger and stuff. So let me just, let me just go in here for a second here. Let me talk to just, just the Christians for a second here. It's not only that we get hooked to specific people, but we also get hooked to our specific styles, right? And we usually fall in these one of two categories. We got our distinguished people, right? So your you know, top button's always button, right? And so you're, you're, you go to the chiropractor, right? So you got really good posture, you know, everything is, oh, uh, yes. You don't drink coffee, you drink tea, right? It's like one of the, like everything. And it's like, you know what? Church should be, ah, oh, I wanna be intellectually stimulated. Like give me the Greek words and, and I want you to teach me things and show, impress me today. That music at Go Church is way too loud, right? It's way, it's way, why are they all moving around and all that stuff, it's just too much. I just want you to impress me with the knowledge of scripture, exegete that passage. for. And it's like, it, it, you think that all of the other people that are pouring their guts out, preaching their guts out, on, you just think that they're spastic and they're hyper. And that is so, you're hooked on your style. You're not hooked on the word. You're following your style, not Jesus. But let me talk to the Pentecostals in the room for just a second here. Okay, and I love you, all right? I, grew, I mean, I love you so much. But I'll tell you, I, we had this situation up in Maryland when we first moved there in 2013 when we were starting Go Church. And there was this family that they left the church. Okay, they left the church. And it happens, right? No one's bad for leaving a church. At some point, we're all gonna leave the church one day or another, right? And we'll be in heaven forever, okay? So whatever, that's not the point. But it was the reason, and they were like, well, pastor, and, and Micah, I see you, right? You know exactly who I'm talking about, too. They're like, well, pastor, I want the word. I want the word. And, and we were like, what? We're preaching the word every single Sunday. Like, there is no one not preaching the word. Oh, I see what you mean. You want me to preach it with Pentecostal fire, like T.D. Jakes. You want me to get my sweat rag out, and you, I gotta throw in these, ha, ah, and I gotta grunt sometimes, because if I don't say it just like this, then you're not gonna follow Jesus, and it's not a real sermon if I don't yell just a little bit. Listen, that's a style. That's not the word, it's a style. And there's nothing wrong with having your preferences, but at the end of the day, this is the mark of salvation. It's Jesus Christ alone. It's only about Jesus 
Christ. So I don't care if they didn't sing your favorite songs, and I don't care if I didn't preach passionate enough or if I preach too passionate. Do you hear that Jesus is the answer? Because if you do, who cares? Who cares? All right, so let's just keep going then. Here we go, last one here, last one. You got time for one more. You ain't got nothing to do. All right, so verse 22 here. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. I got one more soapbox to get on, I promise. And, and Joseph, come play these keys because I'll never land this plane if you don't. So here comes Peter, right? And uh, Peter is gonna start to rebuke Simon the sorcerer. And this is what Peter says. And then I'm gonna tell you something that you need to know. Repent of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see, look, you're full of bitterness. You're captive to sin. And then what did Simon do? He didn't repent and he didn't pray. He said, pray to the Lord for me. Do it for me, Peter, please. Repent for me. Pray for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Peter, don't make me pray. You're the pastor. You pray for me. Look, I said already, I'm not your priest. Pastor JC's not your priest. We're your pastors. You got access to the Father because of the work of the cross. So you need to pray. You need to repent because that's what this is. Simon didn't do it. Why? Why didn't he do it? Because he wasn't really concerned about escaping his sin. He just wanted to escape the penalty of his sin. And there are two very, very extremely different things going on there when you only wanna get out of the penalty of sin because after all, heaven's better than hell, right? So make sure I don't go there. That's not the gospel. But I gotta tell you something, that, and before I read to you what the eunuch did and how his story ended, I gotta talk about this for a second. And I want you to know something here. I, I'm gonna break down this word because there's two different uh, understandings of it. It's this, this phrase, church hurt, okay? I, I wanna talk about it for a second because this is a real thing. And listen to me, if you have been uh, used, abused, victimized uh, by toxic leadership within the church, my heart breaks. I'm not even trying to just say the right thing. My heart breaks for that situation. And I can assure you, those men and those women of God that were abusive to you and your family or misappropriated those funds or had those affairs and covered it up or whatever it is, they will be held accountable because Jesus even told us, hey, teachers are gonna be held to a higher standard than the rest of us. And that kind of terrifies me, to be honest, because here I am right now, right? I'm gonna, look, that is not okay. And that has no place in the house of God, period, right? But... Let me explain something to you. This right here, this discourse between Peter and Simon, that is not church hurt. That is accountability. And there is a very, very big difference between accountability and church hurt. So before you start blasting on social media, oh yeah, they love people to life, right? Well, they didn't let me sing on the worship team because they said I was sleeping around. That's not church hurt, that's accountability. You shouldn't be on this stage if you're doing that stuff. The, golly, man, it's, we have got to stop, because what you're doing is you're actually undermining the true victims of church hurt. There are people that were actually hurt, but you're just soft, I love you, you're soft. You don't want accountability. You don't want someone to rebuke you, but you need it, and I need it. 
Thank God for the men in my life that grab me by the collar and say, hey, you're missing it. This is not the way that we are supposed to live. You need to have a pastor in your life. You need a ministry leader in your life. You need accountability in your life. That is not church hurt, okay? So this is how, this is all we know. This is how Simon's story ended. We don't know what happened next. I would venture to say it probably wasn't good for him. But let's see how the eunuch story ended. Came up out of the water, Philip disappears. Eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. What's the difference between those two? I'm gonna land this plane here. Simon's story ended without repentance, never repented. Never one time repented, or at least not on record having repented. But the eunuch's story ended with rejoicing. Gosh, guys, this is not a game. Like, and I'm not... I want you to hear me. This is not a game. Sin, it, it will kill you. You get that, right? Like, you will die and be eternally separated from God. And I'm not trying to scare you into conversion because fear and power doesn't lead to conversion. You've gotta be converted by the power of the Holy Spirit, which can come by seeing the work of the cross in your life. But you can't keep playing around in sin. You need to repent. This is the mark of true salvation. It's marked by ongoing repentance and ongoing rejoicing. Not either or, both and. Both and, we need both. And let me break us down into another binary here, right? There's two categories. Some of us, we love the rejoicing part, right? You got Mav City playing in your car rides all the time. You're singing and look, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Keep on praising him. The, the whole creation is crying out to God. And if we stop, the rocks are gonna start crying out. He deserves our praise. We should rejoice and be glad in the day. But if you only spend your time rejoicing and you never repent of your sin, it is going to eat away at your soul and you're not even gonna realize it. You're not even gonna realize the death that you're dying. You're going on your merry way thinking that sin doesn't have a cost, it does. It'll kill you. You need to repent. However, for some of us, and maybe you grew up in a very legalistic church, and all you ever heard about was this right here. Repent, repent, repent. You're bad, you're horrible, you're awful. Just that real like Southern Baptist type of just, you're the worst ever, you know, so have a good day, right? I mean, that's it. Like, and what you're doing, here's where you get at. When you only are stuck in this repentance, you start to feel really bad about yourself. You have no joy whatsoever. And you wonder why no one wants to convert to the Christian faith. And it's because all we're ever doing is just kicking the floor. Oh, I did it again. What's wrong with me? I know God's probably done with me. He's fed up with me. I did it again. I missed it again. Oh, what's wrong with me? And you stay stuck and then you start feeling depressed. You start feeling like a victim to your sin. Look, it's time to wake up and not feel like a victim to your sin anymore. Repentance and rejoicing is our weapons. Don't just feel bad about your sin, make war against it. This is, this is a spiritual warfare. Rejoice, repent. Don't just feel sad about your mistakes, bring it to the cross. And here's why, if you're stuck only right here, feeling bad about yourself all the time, I'm giving you another homework assignment. You need to write this down. You need to go read Romans chapter five. Because what you're gonna read about is this. Christ died for the ungodly, the unattractive, those completely stuck in their sin. And while we were still sinners, unappealing, unattractive, 
completely marred by sin, Christ took up the cross. So here's what that means. He took up the cross to reconcile us. So if we have been reconciled to Christ, how much more would he be willing to forgive us after we've already been reconciled than when we were stuck in sin? He took up the cross while you were dead in your sin. How much more will you be forgiven if you're truly repentant once you've been reconciled to Christ? His grace doesn't run out. All we've gotta do is keep in mind the repentance, bring it to the cross. His grace doesn't run out. He's not done with you. He's not fed up with you. That will lead you to rejoicing. How can we rejoice? This is my closing. I just wanna look at a couple of reasons why I feel like the eunuch story ended with rejoicing. And I want this to let you end with rejoicing. We're gonna end today with rejoicing. I want you to go on your way rejoicing. This is what the eunuch found. Keep in mind the context of the life that he had lived. The God that he was forbidden to draw near to, not allowed to go into the temple ever, ever. The God that he was forbidden to draw near to drew near to him. He couldn't make it to the temple, so God brought the temple to him through the body of Jesus Christ and through the infilling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The temple came to him because he couldn't get to the temple. What else happened? The God that he had worshiped his entire life, in that moment, he just realized that God knows what it's like to be tortured, just like me. I was tortured. They, I can't believe they did that to me. How could someone do that to me? He never found anyone else that had gone through that kind of pain, except for the God that he worshiped, knew exactly the pain. And the God he had worshiped his whole life, he never realized it. He knew what it was like to be humiliated. On that cross, stripped of everything he had, he understood humiliation and a eunuch unable to ever have any children or descendants or legacy whatsoever just discovered that his whole life he's been worshiping a God that made a way for him to be grafted into the family of God. So now it's not about his lack of descendants, it's about the descendants of Jesus Christ, the legacy that he gets to be a part of. He now has a family that he otherwise never could have had. That's why he went on his way rejoicing. It wasn't because God did a really cool miracle, it was because the miracle was the pain that Jesus endured and then the glorious resurrection that came out symbolized by the immersion into that water and the springing forth into new life, that's what happened to the eunuch, and that's my invitation to you. Have you truly been saved? Come on, are you marked by these things? Like, does this describe your life? Or at least, is this aspirational for you? And if not, I invite you today. Look, for some of us, we've never had conversion, and you've been in church your entire life, and today you need to be converted. More than just convinced that he's real, your heart posture needs to change every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking but me. If you're here today and you need to turn your life over to Jesus, his ways, not your ways, I invite you right now to slip up your hand and hold it up for just a moment. I see your hands all over this place. Thank you, Jesus. One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Seven, thank you, Lord. You can put those hands down 
all across this place because we are marked by ongoing repentance and ongoing rejoicing. The gospel isn't just for the unbeliever, it's for the believer too. All of us across this place, let's pray. Father, we come before you, we run to the cross in a posture of repentance, in a posture of rejoicing because we know that we're more sinful than we ever dared think but we're more loved than we ever dared imagine, that your cross met us at the point of our need and picked us up. So Lord, we commit our life to you forever, God. It's about what you did for us, not what we could do for you. So may we be transformed by that, God. Let this be a church where your glory dwells, God. Have your way in my life, in our lives, and forever we long to see you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Come on, all across this place, can we just thank the Lord? Seven hands lifted in this place.